Yeah, this is my life. I'm done trying to convince people I'm real. Welcome to the Road to the Olympic Trials podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and we'll take an insider's look into the training and racing of some of America's best marathoners as they prepare for the Olympic Trials in 2020. And before we get into this episode with Kate Landau, I just want to talk a little bit about Inside Tracker. Do you want to achieve your goals like so many of the people who've been on this show? Well, Part of that is controlling the controllables. And for many people, that includes diet and nutrition, but that can be easier said than done. And finding out exactly what your body needs is a hard process for so many. And that's exactly where Inside Tracker comes in. They analyze 43 different biomarkers, and some are more important than others for some people. In fact, did you know that 50% of female runners are low on iron? That is an incredible stat. So maybe you are low on iron. And getting that tested can be vitally important for all runners of all abilities. And if you go to InsideTracker.com and use code RAMBLINGRUNNER, you can save 15% on your order. So this episode with Kate Landau, one of America's best marathoners, I couldn't wait to have her on the show because she has a fascinating background, which you will hear all about in this episode. In addition to that, she will be telling us about her spring plans because not only will she be running the trials, she is also going to be running Boston. So we'll talk logistics, training, and why exactly she chose to do both and how she's going to do just that. So I hope you like my conversation with Kate Landau. Hello, Kate, and welcome to the show. Hey, Matt. I'm really, really excited to be um, on with you. I listened to your your show every time it comes out. Wow. So you're the one listener that I have. <laughs> no. <laughs> I love your show, yes. But you have many listeners. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really appreciate that so much. But I'm so glad to have you on because I've been following you for a while. As we were just talking about offline, I actually listened to your show almost a year ago that you did with my friend Ali Feller before you ran Boston, which you ran so well. And then Later on in the year, you kill it at New York. And obviously, this has been, you know, in 2019 was a wonderful year for you. With that in mind, when you started that year, obviously, that's, you know, there's a lot to talk about with your story and where you're going and where you are now. When you started 2019, did you have a pretty good sense that you were going to be able to compete and achieve the, the kind of performances that you were able to put together? No way. <laughs> and the funny thing is, like looking back on 2019, it was a really rough year. And so running is the one the one thing that, you know, I can look back on in 2019 and be like, you know, that that was the really amazing part of it that held me together, um, as well as my daughter, Grace. Um, but yeah, 2019 was really a challenging year, one of the more challenging ones. So running the fact that I was able to run that well was pretty, um, yeah, a huge, uh, a huge blessing <laughs> that kept kept my head above water. <laughs> so, yeah, um, but no, I had no idea. I had I had um, I had run Chicago, and then I um, in 2018, and then I ran the Miami Marathon in the end of end of January 2019, I think. It, and then I kind of just. Uh, decided that maybe I should run Boston too. And, um, I, I, what was it? I just didn't know how to contact the elite organizer. So I contacted Esther Atkins cause, um, you know, I've kind of 
chatted with her a little bit at races and she was at Boston and, and then she hooked me up with James McCurdy. And that's kind of, I think where things kind of took off. Cause he really, um, I think he saw my potential and gave me a little bit more confidence than I had before. So. Yeah. And you had achieved, you know, of pretty you know pretty high level results before then as well and and you mentioned that you had a very tough year not on the running side so basically on in other areas of your life so when you were having you know those difficult real life dramas and situations and you know and, and all the things that the vast majority of our life entails how were you able to compartmentalize your running to not only do it but do it at a level that was kind of unparalleled in your life, you know, preceding that time. Yeah. Um, well, so 2019 involves me, and my, uh, my Grace and I, and our dog and cat moving um, from Tacoma, Washington to Jacksonville, Florida in March. And then we moved back to Tacoma in after New York city marathon in November. Um, and it involved a very challenging, challenging job between that time in Florida and really being unhappy in Florida. So I think running was the thing that, um, you know, besides, besides grace, but it was one thing I did for myself that really just kept me like grounded and happy. And it, and I, you know, I've been thinking about that a lot and it's just, it is one of those things that I'm so grateful that I can do again. And that like really makes me feel good. Like my job is extremely stressful and exhausting and, um, and uh, so having something that I can just like, you know, lose myself in is something that like really balances me out. Um, and ha- being able to do it at a high level, um, it, ju- it, it, it allows me to not feel bad about taking the time to put into it, you know, to giving myself that time that I need to take care of myself um, as a, as a single parent. So because I'm doing it at a high level and I feel, you know, there's no just, everybody should be able to take care of themselves, you know, um, as well. And it, and it does make me a better mom, but it somehow it just makes me, it made me be like, this, there's a reason I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, well, part of it was like, yeah, I'm making money from this. So it justified it a little bit, you know, um, that I, that I was taking the time. So I guess, I don't know if that answers it, but it was just, it kept me grounded throughout the, the craziness of last year um, and gave me goals and things to look forward to while I was struggling to keep my head above water in other ways. Yeah, that makes sense. And at the same time, I still, I always wonder how, you know, someone in your position as a physician's assistant, which even in the best of times at your job is a demanding job. Even if things aren't going, you know, if things aren't going well at your job, I can even, I can't even imagine what it's like at that point. But at the same time, as a lot of running coaches have said, like stress is stress, right? Whether it's running stress or mental stress or emotional stress or whether it's stress on the job or with your family or so on and so forth. With all of that being said, were you approaching training in a way where you were, you know, like really killing it in training? Or do you have to, you know, kind of dial it back a little bit when you're having those stressful periods in your life? to kind of make sure you're not overtaxing your body and, and being able to to get the most out of your training without overdoing it and all of a sudden maybe being unavailable for some of the races that you planned to be in? Right. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think that's something that um, James McCurdy and I have kind of learned um, uh, uh, together about me is that, you know, sometimes I do like just push, push forward 
pretty hard until I, until I crash a little bit. And then I'm, I'm like, I got to take, I got to back off, you know, I got to, cause I get so exhausted. Um, so, you know, I, I'll, I'll make things work. I'll, I'll, um, find the time I'll get up at 4am and, you know, run on the treadmill and before work and, and, you know, I'll, I'll do what it takes to get it in, but then sometimes, yeah, it does lead to, um, a crash of energy and that's when I have to, and then I, that's when I've gone to James a couple times and been like, I don't think I can do this, you know, this certain workout or, and, and I, I think I know now he, he understands that that's, you know, that's legit. It's not me. It, you know, it's just, it's me. Like I really get exhausted sometimes. So it's kind of learning to listen to my body and, and accepting that I'm not like superhuman and I'm not superwoman. And sometimes I've got amazing energy and then sometimes I crash. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's just understanding and being and believing that that energy is going to come back, you know, and if I, if I do take a little time to, to recover. (laughs) So, um, and it's just having faith in that after years of pushing myself in, in many different parts of my life to a high degree and going through kind of this cycle of like, um, pushing myself and then, then getting tired and, and then you know, having to recover. And then I do recover. And, and, you know, and now that now, as soon as it happens, I'm more, um, I'm, it's much easier to just back off a little bit and it doesn't take very long to bounce back. So it's kind of, um, but yeah, I just, I think, you know, it's a matter of just making it a priority and compartmentalizing, like nobody at work, cares that I run or understands it. And so I get it done before work and then I, you know, can't think about it, you know, for the rest of the day. And, you know, if I have to do another second short run afterwards or something, it's, that's not a big deal. But, um, so yeah, I think it's compartmentalizing and prioritizing and just knowing that like, it's, um, it'll, It'll give me back energy, um, you know, eventually. But also at the same time, listening, listening to my body when it's like, whoa, I need a break. So in 2018, you finished top 15 at both Boston and New York, which is absolutely incredible. It's even more incredible for someone who's a master's runner, which is you, you find that even more rarely. Would you think about those performances and those races and you like basically harken back to when you were 34 and we'll, we'll talk about this part of your life and you know, a little bit later. And when you really kind of got back into running after a 15 year hiatus, did you think that that kind of performance at, you know, age, you know, early in your basically in 41, 42, that those kind of performances were in your future or what, what were your goals when you got back into running? Oh, wow. Um, well, so when I first got back to running into running in 2013, I was just like, you know, it just was like, I had this part of me that had been empty for a long time and it was filled back up again. And it just felt like I was more complete, you know? Um, and so that was kind of just like being grateful and amazed that I could run and not get hurt. And, um, you know, it felt good and my body felt healthy and I wasn't breaking down after running for a week or something like that. So, um, that's kind of how it started. And then I just gradually started running a little bit more and, you know, I didn't really have any intentions of running a half marathon or a marathon, but it just kind of happened. 
And then I think um, going into my first marathon, I kind of, the goal was, I had kind of two goals, like qualify for the Olympic trials and break the course record. Um, and I did both of those at so that two, first marathon. Two, two small um, little goals, right, Kate? Two small little goals. Just qualify <laughs> for the Olympic trials and set the course record. I mean, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a really hilly course and it was, but, and I don't think I, you know, I didn't have a coach at that time and, um, I was kind of just probably running like 50 miles a week and, you know, I didn't, I don't know how many long runs I did. I think I did some 15 mile runs and like one month, one twenty mile run. I can't even quite remember, but so it wasn't anything like really, you know, structured and I was working a ton and Grace was still pretty young and, um, I, that was 2016. So that was like May of 2016. Um, and then I was, that was like, that was like, I was just like, wow, that's cool. I, I achieved my goal. And then I set a new goal and that was like to run under 240 when I was 40. And, um, and I, and I achieved that at the Portland marathon, I ran like 238, 45 or something. And so then I was just like, you know, happy, but happy, you know, had the super happy, but it's just like, then I set another goal. And, um, what was that goal after oh, that, that goal after that was like to break the A standard, like to run under 237. And, um, after, so what did I do with that? Then I, uh, oh, that was like Boston 2017 and I ran like 240. Um, it was pretty hot that day. And so, it, and then, you know, so I didn't get my goal that time. And then it was just like, I don't know, I just kept doing marathons and setting goals. And a lot of the times I would achieve those goals and sometimes I wouldn't, but, but I love, I just love the marathon. It just like, if I could run one like every two months, I would, <laughs> but I don't think that's, that's the way to really optimize your running. But, um, you know, I, I love the distance and yeah. So those, I mean, my goals going into it was just like, enjoy the ride and, you know, and be grateful. And now it's kind of just like similar, like set some goals and try to achieve those goals. Um, and yeah, and, um, loving the process while doing it. Cause I love to train, you know, I love, I love long runs, you know, it just, it, um, and then, you know, the, the, the perks that come with running at a high level are, are nice too. So I'm just kind of enjoying it for as long as I can. Cause I know it's not going to last forever. And, um, and yeah, I, you know, I, I don't think I ever, you know, have major, um, like place goals, I'll kind of have that, but a lot of the time it's, I have a sense of what I can run based on training and I just want to achieve that kind of, a lot of the times it's time goals, but I need to, I need to get out of that kind of thought process and focus on like more competitive goals. And, um, but that's kind of how it's been. And I set these time goals or I have a sense of what I can do and I'm almost like right on every time. So it's been kind of cool that way. So. And you've been a goal-oriented person like your whole life. And it's so interesting when I, you know, look at you either listen to podcasts, talk about your your childhood or you know read different articles that you've been in. It seemed like just being a goal-oriented person just seemed to be just part of your DNA as opposed to a learned process or learned behavior. Yeah. I I I think that is absolutely true. Like starting from childhood it was, you know, beating the boys and everybody else in gym class around running around the school or the field and, you know, winning the local race or being the best in my class academically. And there was always, you know, goals that I would set and, and, you know, very often be able to achieve by just hard work. Um, 
and and really pursuing that goal and um yeah and even recently like in my it's kind of funny because i've been thinking about it with other, with regards to other people and um recently in my new job it's been a super demanding job um but i had this goal like like make myself valuable so that i can ask for four days a week and so like just this week i got that that you know <laughs> that, that i achieved that goal so i'm granted like to only work four days a week it's like granted it's like four 10 hour days but like you know, it's, um, I get a day off and which is amazing. So like, I think that's what keeps me going is like setting goals. And without that, I don't know like how I would operate. <laughs> so I don't, I can't even imagine like not having like a goal to pursue. So <laughs> yeah. And with that, like that strive for achievement within the goals, is there kind of the counterbalance of maybe like some internal like negativity that kind of, you know, will pull at you if things aren't going your way or you're not achieving those, those goals that are, con- that are constantly being put before you? Um, I don't, mm, I don't really think so. I just can sometimes get tired. <laughs> so I think that's the kind of thing that like, you know, the constant pursuit of high goals can, can lead in me is just kind of fatigue occasionally. And then sometimes like I'm, there's like, I'm, I feel like I'm invincible and I'm never going to get tired, but so it just goes in these waves. And again, just through experience and life experience, I've learned like, it's just, you know, it's just a season of my life. And if I'm tired, it'll, my energy will come back. But like, yeah, I don't feel like negative. And, but I really do feel a large part of that is like, you know, my, having my daughter, um, there's no room for negativity, you know, like <laughs> I can't be negative about anything. You know, sure. I mean, over the past year I was negative about like the heat of Florida or the job or something, but then it was always about like, okay, this is, where I am at, this isn't when I want it to be. So I'm going to set a goal of moving back to Washington and, you know, making that happen. So, um, I don't think I don't really get stuck in the negativity or have to battle that up very much. It's always just kind of like pursuing the goals and just like balancing the fatigue that comes along with, <laughs> with that sometimes. But, uh, you know, other times there's, like I said, there's some other times it's like, there's no fatigue and I've got endless energy. And I think it has something to do with like the seasons of the year and winter winter is a more tired time of year. <laughs> so I'm having a tired time of life right now. <laughs> so. In 2014, Chorus was founded with the desire to make products that are more accurate, reliable, durable, and easier to use than anything on their market and their GPS watches do just that. Coros features the longest battery life on the market with 25 hours in full GPS mode and on the entry level pace, an astonishing 60 hours on its top level vertex. That's 60 hours. My goodness, I can tell you, my GPS watch, I have one on right now from Coros. This thing lasts forever. I've had it on for a week and I haven't charged it yet. It's absolutely phenomenal. They have developed a great reputation of working with top level athletes in the sports world, trail runners, road runners, climbers, etc. You may have seen even shoot Parker Stinson, who's on my Road to the Olympic Trials podcast, is also a member as well. These athletes trust Coros for their training and they work with them closely to make better products as well. Also, the all-new track mode is the first of its kind for technology and GPS watches, which actually measures your runs correctly while running around a 400-meter track, and you know how 
much of a pain in the butt that can be if we've, you know, we've all done track workouts with GPS watches and they don't go very well. So Koros, kudos to you. Go to Koros.com. That's C-O-R-O-S.com. C-O-R-O-S.com to learn more. Does your competitive side at all, um, you know, creep in like with your, with like your training runs and things like that? Like I think about, you know, you spend a lot of time on the treadmill, which is not surprising considering you're a solo parent and you have like long work hours. So work, you know, running on a treadmill, especially at home makes a ton of sense. So are you able to kind of get that competitiveness out when you're just training by yourself? Or is that something that kind of gets saved up and bottled up for when you're, you know, you know, approaching other people on race day? Um, so I think the treadmill is actually like the place where I'm able to relax the most. Like, for example, easy days on the treadmill, I might, you know, average like seven, seven fifteen pace on the treadmill. But when I do like I just ran 11 miles outside today and I ran like 645 pace trying to go as easy as I could, but anything slower than that felt not as good. So it's like the treadmill actually, I think makes me, helps me to slow down. But yeah, I think, um, I think it's hard for me to, I don't, I, I think I've gotten a lot better at like, um, uh, at checking my ego and not making every day hard and not racing every day. I mean, I used to go out on every single run and start out. I had to like start out at six minute pace and, you know, I was always trying to run six minute pace and, um, for like every day of the week <laughs> and then sometimes faster. But, you know, so now that I, my training is a little bit more structured and like I have hard days and e- easier days. I'm able to kind of just like go easier on the easy days. So I think, but, but I think part like, I do love the process. I love training. I love running. So sometimes that competitive part might come out in training a little bit. I think one of my bigger battles is actually making that competitive um, part of me come out on race day. Like I'm very, I'm, I'm very good at like, you know, getting into a zone and, and, um, and just clicking off miles. But like, I think I need to work on the competitive part because I train alone completely. Um, and I'm, I'm able to get kind of, you know, competitive out there by on my own and run some fast workouts. But when it comes to like competing, I, you know, that's where, where I could work, but it's also, that's kind of balancing just like balancing the stress of my life. You know, I, I can't really race a lot. <laughs> so it's kind of just accepting like, you know, what I'm good at and knowing that like, I'm not good at everything and kind of, um, just working at that, but not, I don't, I don't really kind of worry about that kind of stuff too much because I'm just trying to enjoy it. And I, um, and not like, yeah, I mean, I put certain pressures and have certain goals, but like, I don't get too, too wrapped up in the competition with other people, which maybe is like a fault of mine, but, um, I'm more like competitive with myself and like what, you know, what I think I can achieve or wanting to see, like, you know, do something better than I did before, but it's not necessarily with other people. So, but I need to work on that. (laughs) So, (laughs) I don't know. I feel like you could also argue that that's a strength instead of a negative because that's actually means that you're focusing on something that you can control as opposed to something that you have no hand in whatsoever. Right. Yeah, that's true. And I think for me and my and my lifestyle, that's kind of important. You know, like I can't, you know, I just got to, because I have to compartmentalize things 
pretty well. I don't want to get caught up in worrying about other people too much. So I think, yeah, maybe it is, maybe it is what works for me, you know? And I think at other, for other people at maybe a higher levels or whatever, um, they, you know, they focus on being really competitive or, um, with, uh, you know, but that's, I think for me, it's just that adds to the stress and I kind of want to keep things as low stress as possible because there's enough other stress in my life. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, I wouldn't call running a hobby of yours because, you know, it's, it's far more than that, but you know, when we have, you know, full-time jobs and families and things like that, if we're doing things on the side that add stress to our life, then that can make for, you know, a kind of a bitter cocktail, uh, in terms of, you know, trying to digest all of that at once. Yeah. And I, I think it is really a hobby, you know, it's a, like a, it's an intense hobby, but it is a hobby for me. It's, um, you know, and it's a, it's something that I love to do and, Sometimes I make a little money doing it and, you know, and, and, um, but I wouldn't, I, you know, if, it, even if I was to stop racing, I would still run cause it is a hobby. It's like, it's like, I love to run and I'm so grateful to be able to do it. So, um, yeah, it, it is a hobby. It's a, it's a high end hobby, I guess. <laughs> so I would certainly say so because you are undoubtedly one of the best female marathoners in the country. There's no question about that. You proved that um, time and again in 2019, if not before that. So heading you know, so once once New York was complete again, you you were top 15 in New York, um, and you know, you were fourth Masters in an unbelievably high class Masters field as well. And after New York, what was it like for you trying to determine? what you wanted 2020 to be and how you were going to approach your training to uh, maximize that? Um, yeah, so I think it was actually, it was before New York that James and I talked about it. And, um, you know, so for me, it, it was always kind of like, it was a goal initially to like qualify for the trials. But then once I did, um, I don't have this like, it doesn't create this like fire or total excitement in me to like run in the trials. So, um, I am running in the trials, but not, that's not my like total goal race necessarily as I'm doing Boston as part of the John Hancock late team. So there Boston, I last year was probably one of my best races. And I just knew after that, that I wanted to do it again. Like, I'm, you know, it was my third time on the course, but only like Wait, was it? Yeah, third time in the course, but only second time finishing it because I dropped out in 2018. Um, but uh, so I kind of, I think, I don't know if James brought it up or, or if I was already thinking about it. I had some friends that were wanting to do it, and I was just like, I really want to do it. Like Grace's father is in Massachusetts, so it works out. My parents are in New York, so it just like works out to to be a good trip to the to Massachusetts. Um, and I think James, you know, mentioned it and we both were just like, yeah, like, um, maybe we can, you know, do Boston instead of the trials. And then, and then, um, it ends up, I'm, I'm, um, I'm granted the ability to do both. Um, basically probably cause I'm just old and, <laughs> you know, like, I don't but, think that's the reason. <laughs> 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 but I've run two marathons, you know, two good marathons back to back before, like, six, you know, whatever it was, maybe it was eight weeks that time between um, Miami and Boston. But um, so I was granted that that privilege to be able to do that. And um, so kind of 
that was just like, once James was like thinking that too, I was just like, yes, that's what I want to do. Cause there was, I, I don't know if it's, <laughs> I don't know if it's the Atlanta course or just the fact that like I had even told people for a long time, you know, they, if I told them I was going to run the trials, I would, I would, you know, they would be like, Oh wow. Do you think you're going to make it? And uh, it's like, no, you know, the, no way. But like, I was even if, I would say like, even if there was like some crazy thing that happened and then I was to come in third, I would give my spot to somebody else <laughs> that deserved it more. Cause like, I know this field is so stacked and like, there's so many like really fast overly, you know, over my level people that could run in the Olympics this year. So there was just that part of me that was just like, it's, it's, um, it was cool to qualify for it, but I'm, I'm didn't have this fire about like being making it my top goal of racing, you know. So, um, so then yeah, the Boston opportunity came up, and I was just like that made me excited. So that's how we kind of figured that out. Yeah. So you know, this podcast is you know this this conversation I should say is running on the Road to the Olympic Trials podcast, and you know your journey here is obviously a pretty unique one because you you're like you said you're going to be running in the trials. But it morphed from a goal of yours to something that you weren't as excited about as other goals or other opportunities. So when you think about that, how do you approach a race like the Olympic trials, which isn't, you know, no offense to the Miami Marathon. These are two very different races. So how do you then approach the trials in a way that allows you to you know, kind of commit to it because it's such a prestigious race and it's something that, you know, it only comes around every four years, obviously, and so on and so forth, but also allows you to prepare for Boston in the manner that will allow you to perform at your highest level. Yeah. So, um, I think part of like my thought process about that and probably James's too, is like, I'm, I love my long runs and a lot of my long runs are pretty, pretty fast and not like, you know, 535 540 pace but like if i was a little bit rested you know i'm i'm going pretty hard on some of those long runs for the most part and um so i'm kind of thinking of it in that way it's kind of just like a really it's a long run that i'm going to be a little bit tapered for and um you know i have some potential goals for the for the trials that like if everything's lining up that i would would love to you know achieve I don't know, top 10, top 15, or, or, you know, run a certain time or whatever, but the time's going to be so skewed by how tough the course is. But, um, yeah, so like I'll have some goals, but like, there's also the, the, the base thought process going into it is like, this is a hard long run. And, um, I think kind of that's how I'm going into it. I think that's how James is going into it too, but that's, that's how I'm going into it. So, you know, it, uh, any, anything that, um, I achieve over that would be, um, you know, icing on the cake. And also I would love, love, love to negative split because I have not really done that yet. I've pretty even split once or twice, but I've had some pretty bad positive splits. <laughs> so I would love to practice that um at the trials and when you look at that field so many people who are at your level in terms of you know say recent marathon um times and recent marathon performances you know, are are maybe approaching the, the trials in kind of a different different lens of like okay this is my goal race i'm gonna go for it so when you line up with those people you know knowing who your peers are and you're obviously well aware of them how do you then kind of 
kind of turn off that game day mentality and just approach your approach your race as just a hard long run, you know, once you're actually in the middle of it? Yeah, I think I'm probably gonna um let let James kind of guide that as much as as far as like, you know, he might give me a little bit of leeway as far as get letting my competitive, you know, fires get going and and you know, um I I'm not positive. I think if I run negative splits, then I'm going to feel pretty good doing it better than I have like at New York when I ran like a 4 minute positive, <laughs> you know, split. So, um uh yeah, I, I think um I, there's no way that you can not be competitive when you're in that environment and then there's no way that you can not get excited and, you know, get in the race mentality. Um so but at the same time, I don't think I've ever run a marathon and felt like it was any harder than a long run because, you know, you're tapered a little bit and I've never, I just never, it always just feels like a long run to me. (laughs) So, um, and I think again, that's probably one of my, my, my things that I can work on is like, I don't ever feel like I, and I'm sure other people feel like this and I'm sure like I do dig deep, but I always feel like I, I've left something out there. Um, and so I, it all, like, yeah, it's just, I feel like it's always just felt like a long run. <laughs> so, and I always recover pretty fast. So, um, that's kind of how I'm going into it. I think, you know, just like, it's just like any other race. Um, and I'm, it's just mostly like going to, into a marathon. It's just excited to see, like, you know, you've done all this training, kind of excited to see what you're actually going to do once you're rested because you've been running on tired legs for a long time. So I think that's, kind of how I'm going into it, but I'll see what James says. You might have some other goals. All right. So since we're on goals, one more question in regards to your 2020 early racing season. Do you, do you have specific goals for Boston, either from a time perspective or a place? Yeah, like from for both, you know, I would I would love to be top 10. It's a really competitive field. I would love to be top 10 and I would love to get under 230. Um so, you know, I, I it's hard to say if you know where I'm at with training right now just because we're doing so much hill training. So it's hard to compare to other years where I would do my long runs on flat court, you know, flat ro- trails or something. Um, so I don't know exactly what, what kind of shape I'm in and I've been doing so much on the treadmill and stuff. So I don't know, but that's kind of, that's my, those are my A goals, I guess. So we'll see. (laughs) But yeah, if I, I feel like if I set those goals, then I have a very pretty good chance of achieving them because that's kind of just like how I've done things for my most, most of my life and especially running life. So. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to kind of change tack here um, to talk about more, you know, topical things that are going on in the running community, specifically the women's running community. Um, over the past, you know, six to nine months, there's been a couple issues that have really come to the fore with all the things surrounding Mary Kane and her exit from uh, from you know from Nike and the and Nike Oregon project, and then you know 
a lot of other people, you know, talking about their experiences with similar issues um, from a body perspective uh, and not just a coaching perspective. Um, but, you know, I, those are obviously intertwined in some cases. And Lauren Fleshman has been a wonderful voice in this space as well, talking about these topics. And I wanted just to talk to you about this because this is something that has touched your career. You battled disordered eating for 20 years and you've had dozens of stress fractures and dealt with, you know, you know, um, exercise addiction and and so many things in your life. So when you first read or watched the video around the Mary Kane story that Lindsey Krause did in the New York Times, what was your initial reaction to that in regards to, you know, not only what what happened to her, but how it may have mirrored parts of your own life? Yeah, so um I didn't feel like it was that that similar to me because a lot of mine was all self-imposed. Like, I think, um, for the most part, my coaches were, you know, um, well-intentioned and especially in high school and college, you know, like, you know, I think also, um, you know, maybe not uh, addressing it as much as probably should be. And I think it's done more these days, but nobody ever, ever encouraged me to lose weight or, you know, I, I was already a mess by the age of, 14 and that was all self-imposed. So, um, so in that way, it didn't mirror, um, my, my experience, but, um, what it did, you know, it it did mirror some other people that were on my team, their experience. And I I just, mine was just different. And we've talked to it about it since then. And also it it just made me, you know, so many people are, are speaking up about it now. And I think that's just like so wonderful because I didn't have that. Like, whatever it was like 25 years or 20, 30 years, whatever, 30 years ago now, I guess when, when I first like, you know, had, when I was really first going, developing anorexia and it was starting to get bad. Like, um, I didn't have any information or any, you know, um, there wasn't any social media or anything. And I remember finding a a book, a psychology book, I think that my dad had up in our library upstairs kind of deal and reading about eating disorders and anorexia. And that was like, wow, that's me. And, but there was nothing else to really relate to. So for me here in the Mary Kane story, it was more just like, I'm glad people are speaking out. You know, I'm, this is, it's absolutely awful that that happened to her, but I'm proud of her for speaking out and because it's going to help other people and it's going to help change things. So I think that was my, my, you know, main feeling about that. And then after, and after that, you saw a lot of people, you know, maybe not similar situations to her because her situation was obviously much more about a, a kind of like a, an abusive relationship in, in a matter of speaking. And, you know, a lot of people from that point on kind of use that as a springboard to talk about, you know, you know, kind of these, you know, these kinds of topics much more generally. Uh, and, you know, like you said, like, you know, you didn't have a situation that mirrored her, but you had a situation that, you know, that a lot of people are affected by, you know, in, in, in their own way. And when you see how individuals who are, you know, kind of legends within the running space or other sports kind of touching on topics like this, what are some ways that you think that these sorts of topics can trickle down to coaches who are dealing with, say, athletes at younger ages to make sure that, you know, they're providing them the support and, 
tools and just, you know, whatever is necessary to make sure that either things like this don't pick up steam to begin with or that they can be remedied much earlier in life? Yeah, I think just keep, you know, talking about it and having, um, you know, potential lectures at camps or with running teams about going through adolescence and about how the body changes and, you know, that this is normal and, and that, um, I think it was, I think it was a podcast, maybe it was Lauren Fleshman and just, you know, realizing that, yeah, you might slow down for a year or two as your body changes, but that's not the, the big goal, you know, the big goal. And I think just, I'm really feel pretty passionately about like, taking the stress off the high school runners because it just doesn't matter that much. Like, yes, it, it can get you to, you know, a college scholarship or whatever, but that's just, that's so minor in the grand, in the grand scheme of things, um, for your whole life, you know, your health and your longevity and and running and it was something you love. Um, so I, I really, um, I really think that, coaches need to be educated either in kind of like a seminar fashion or just by opening themselves up and being accountable or listening to podcasts or whatever. Or, um, and I think that just the, the talking about it makes them more accountable. You know, that people are going to watch them more and question things when we have, you know, high school girls running 80 miles a week or, you know, allowing them to drop significant weight or, you know, without addressing it. So I think, um, I think the, the culture now is becoming much more healthy and and open to talk about it, which is, is hopefully gonna just, you know, help, um, help, you know, athletes and, you know, especially female athletes because, but male athletes too, that, that experience these, um, you know, eating disorders and other pressures when it comes to running at a relatively high level in in your adolescence, which is such a hard time, you know, um, just without dealing with the pressures of um, athletics. And I I am all a proponent of sports and athletics and, you know, setting goals, even for kids and stuff. But I think there's got to be discussion about like, not, I just, I really don't like it when, when, um, when kids, especially before puberty, and take it too seriously. That's when it really does hurt my heart just because I know like, um, like I, you know, my, my, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with my life and everything, but my life was definitely changed because of my eating disorder and how it affected, you know, the rest of my life and running and all that. So, um, so yeah, I think it's gotta continue to be a topic and people need to continue to talk about it. And, um, I think, um, there, I think I don't know if it's Raquel or Rachel Steele. Um, she she's written a book and she gives lectures, um, you know, at uh, at camps and high schools and and about about eating disorders. And I think that just needs to be a topic for um, athletes. Yeah, and and you obviously know of what you speak here because you know we didn't talk about this earlier, but you know you were one of those kids. You won the New York State title at a younger age. You, know, you were a fantastic you know youth runner and, and so on and so forth. And you, know, you you kind of lived that life. And I think your kind of redemption story here, you know, taking fifteen years off and then coming back to running and and now you know performing at the, one of the highest levels in America. 
you know, after all of that, I think if anything shows that you know, you really don't have to squeeze so hard to get these kinds of performances because it's still within you. Even after all this time away from the sport, you still were able to achieve a level that most marathoners never get to. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, there definitely is a huge, you know, and this isn't to like set limits on people that might not have the genetics, but there's a huge genetic component and that's not going to go away or the drive that's not going to go away. That's just part of who you are. And, and just to be patient with, with your development as a runner. I mean, if I've heard a lot of talk about this now, just, but like, but just be patient. It's about longevity and, and running. It's not about like having instant results right away. Um, cause that's just the way to, to get injured or to, to burn out, which, you know, or to, you know, have some kind of stress related issue occur. So I think it's really, you know, patience and, and, um, because there's not, there's, there's many people who aren't quite as lucky as me as far as like getting to come back after, you know, a 20 year eating disorder. That was kind of a mir- miracle in, in my uh, mind. But, um, so yeah, you know, I think just, you really just need to be patient. <laughs> it's such a hard thing to do when you're a kid, but I think that's where parents and coaches come in is just, you know, encouraging kids to just have fun, maybe, you know, get involved in multiple sports and be patient until they're like in 11th or 12th grade. You know, I think you see so many professional runners, you know, you see, you hear the probably 50%, they started running early and just, you know, that was their, their thing from early on. And then 50% probably did soccer and, you know, focused on a bunch of different sports and then really focused on running later on. So I don't think there's one magical way, but I think the people that focus on multiple different sports and, and don't get so um, focused on running like in, in high school probably have a higher percentage of having a longer running career than the 50% that, or the, you know, the percentage that, that, um, that is so serious about it so early on. So there's so many, like, I think back, um, back in, at least in my day, like there was, there was the footlocker or the kinney champion so um, rarely excelled in college. And, you know, it was the rare um, national championship champion in um, cross country at the high school level that really has ended up being a professional runner. So I think that just really goes to show like you don't have to be the best in high school. Um, and, and it really, you know, I don't know. It just, I just don't think it's, it's kids need to not think that's the end of the, the line or the most important thing. No, you're absolutely right. You're you're 100% right. And and I've heard that so many times that you'd, you'd expect, you know, the top 20 at Foot Locker to be something of like, all right, the top, you know, say the top 10 at NCAAs would probably be, you know, top 20 in Foot Locker, right? There'd be some, some discrepancies, but not much. And that's never the case. And you look now, like who are the best marathoners in the country? It's not like, oh, it's half the Oregon you know, have half the Oregon grads and, you know, half the Villanova grads or something, you know what I mean? Or, or something like that. You see people from all sorts of backgrounds and it really is amazing. Kate, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure to follow your running and I'm so excited for this double that you'll be doing this winter and spring. Good luck, not only in Atlanta, but in Boston as well. Thank you so much, Matt. This was, this was fun. Thanks a lot. 
Kate, thank you so much for coming on this show. What a fascinating person and runner Kate is. I've been following her for quite a long time, and I'm sure you can see why. Now that you've heard her speak, I can't wait to root her on in Atlanta and again in Boston. Thank you so much for our sponsors, Koros Global, and also to Inside Tracker. Go check them out. I love those guys so much. I'm wearing my Koros watch as I'm recording this episode, and I'm just such a huge fan of Inside Tracker. Understanding what your body needs and how best to get it is so vitally important. And what better way than to use Inside Tracker to do just that? So, with that being said, thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. Thank you to my producer, David Margetti, from InPost Media. Also, thank you to Metapi for the music and his song, Evolution. Real versions.